can have a seat. We're going to, so we pray together. I forgot to share this in the last service, but I um, just wanted to thank everyone here uh, for uh, praying for Brad and I as we were out of town. And um, before we get into our text, I just wanted to talk about this concept of rest. And, um, you know, as we were going down to this conference, um, it's easy for my mind just to say, man, we've got so many things to do. We've got so many plans to make. We've got, we've got this to do. We've got to do this. We've got to cross all our T's, dot all our I's. And, and uh, really, it was, a, it was a roadblock to me to, to even to be able to worship God and uh, just to go down and uh, just to have a simple time of, of praise and prayer and, and literally the words of God that were etched into my heart was, just come to me and I will give you rest. And just understanding that that's the place that we all need to operate from. Is that the rest that we have in Christ? And, and um, as we pray, I just wanted us to just close our eyes. And I'm going to read to you this passage that we all know. But I'm just praying that the words of our risen Savior would, would just restore your soul. And that in him you would find your rest as well. So if we could simply just eliminate the distractions. Temporarily place our to-do list away. And just come to Jesus. In Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, he says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And here's the promise. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So if we could just spend some time in prayer. Regardless of the week you've had before you, regardless of the madness that exists in your life at this time, that you would simply approach Jesus knowing that, that the yoke that he gives us is not a heavy one. It's a yoke that is easy. It's a burden that is light. Would you simply just pray and rest in his presence? Father God, I'm just so thankful that you are a God of rest. You are a God that desires to give his sons and daughters rest. God, I'd be the first one in here to confess, God, that at times it's difficult to be still and know that you are God because of the culture we live in, because of the busyness of our lives as well and the things that we place in it. Father, we are busy people. We are a busy culture. And I think the question is, are we, are, we, are we busy with the right things? And I know that one of the things that we are to be busy about is resting in your presence and working from that very place. God, I'm just praying today as we, um, as we come to your word, it's our words of life, words of truth because they come from the very mouth of God. And God, you are the good shepherd that desires to give all of his sheep rest. I'm just praying today, God, that you would comfort comfort souls, 
that there would be repentance today, that if we've been just so consumed with the things of this world and just busy for no reason, maybe some of us are running aimlessly in here, God. I pray that we would know and we would echo the words of St. Augustine that, God, our souls are restless until they find their rest in thee, you, God. So, God, we pray, as Ash prayed earlier, that the name of Jesus would be lifted high and that the eyes of the hearers here today would be gazed on you, knowing that when that happens, our souls will be at rest. There will be no more fear of death because we know that those in Christ, their fates are sealed. There will be, there will be security in knowing who we are because our identity will be in you. We're not going to look to other things. There's going to be a freedom from fear in general because we know in First John it says that perfect love casts out fear. So God, I'm just praying for your spirit of rest to come upon this place. that our hearts and souls would be lightened today because Jesus is alive and well. Your son's holy and perfect name we pray. Amen. Today's uh, scripture reading comes from the 23rd Psalm. And I'm sure some of you don't even need to open up your Bibles because uh, you were part of an Awana program or <laughs> you were part of a typical uh, Sunday school program. They had you memorize this, but I'm going to read it to you. Psalm chapter 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the word of the Lord. This is one of the most popular and famous passages in the Bible. And uh, as we come to it, we have to immediately acknowledge that this is a form of poetry, okay? And I had preached months ago, I had shared with you that one of of my greatest regrets was not paying more attention to my high school English teacher, especially as my teachers were talking of, of literature in general, the different genres. I was, as they were talking about that, I was bored to death. And then uh, getting saved and, and coming to the word, the word is full of poetry. The word is full of metaphors. The word is, is full of similes and, and the different types. And, and I guarantee you this, that the more you understand literature, the more the Bible is going to come alive. And the reason why we love the 23rd Psalm is because this entire Psalm is in metaphor. And the kind of typical like literary rule of metaphor is that you have to first unpack the image that the writer is giving us before you even get to interpretation. So first is unpacking the image to understand it, to get it alive and well in our mind, to understand the experience of the psalmist, to, to be able to taste what they're tasting, to hear what they're hearing, to smell what they're smelling and experience what they're experiencing. And then we can build the bridge to interpreting that. And I think that's where a lot of people and theologians are across the board. For example, Revelation is full of of symbols. And because of that, we have different interpretations that are across the board. But what you have to love about the Psalms is these different types of poetry are not written just to give a doctrinal treatise. They're written out of real-life experience from real people wanting to lift the name of God. Two figures of speech that we must understand are similes and metaphors. And we all love these by nature. I'm going to give you some that we know because all of us speak in that language anyway, naturally. A best friend is like a four-leaf clover, hard to find and lucky to have. Love is like an onion. You peel away layer after stinky layer until until you're just weeping over the sink. (laughs) 
Mark Twain said this, why do you sit there looking like an envelope without any address on it? For, the, for our young people that like Percy Jackson, Rick Riordan in the Titans Curse said this about Percy Jackson in his experience. The wind blowing through my ripped clothes was so cold that I felt like a Percy sickle. Mae West says, love is like a booger. You pick and pick at it. Then when you get it, you wonder how to get rid of it. <laughs> the comedian Steve Martin says, a day without sunshine is like, you know, night. And Eleanor Roosevelt said, a woman is like a tea bag. You never know how strong it is until it's in hot water. And similes and metaphors are all throughout the scriptures. And a fav- I think one of our favorite psalms that we can all resonate with is a Psalm 42.1. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. Do you see the imagery the writers are trying to give us for that yearning for God? And similes and metaphors are very similar. Similes tend to use the formula like or as, whereas metaphors directly compare one thing to another. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. And it's believed that since the time of Aristotle, that the thing that most distinguishes the true poet is their ability to think in metaphor. And what is interesting is that poets don't invent metaphors. They simply discover them based on their real life experience. That's what we're approaching here. Psalm chapter 23. What we're going to see is this experience of a shepherd and his flock. And it's interesting that Psalm 23 is often read at funerals. And for those of you that have ever, uh, do we have any people that watch lost here? Okay. There's always at least 10. Okay. So we're about there, but even in that series in season one, when the plane is, uh, had, had crashed on the island and, and they light it on fire and they, they have a moment of silence around the plane. What, is, what, what, what scripture do they recite? Psalm chapter 23. So it's even in our culture. But let me tell you what, this verse is for the living. It is meant to challenge and comfort you as God's children. And this is a psalm for you and I to apply every day of our life. And we're going to uncover these metaphors that our master poet uses, David. David has written almost half of the Psalms, 73 of them, of the 150. And here we're going to unpack these metaphors so we'd better understand the heart of our father. And this psalm is going to walk us through the day in the life of a shepherd and his sheep. Come into verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. What shall we say about this first line? A phrase so familiar that we probably are missing the magnitude of these very words. David is saying that the eternal God of the universe is his personal shepherd. I mean, David could have used the formula, hero Israel, the Lord is our shepherd. But he does not say this. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. And what this is insinuating is there's a personal relationship here. He's also saying that he is the sheep and God is the shepherd. Now, let me tell you something about sheep. They're not very bright. In fact, um, at times they can be considered very dumb animals. But you know what's interesting? The Bible often calls us something. We, like sheep, have gone astray. We're compared to them. And naturally, sheep, they go astray. They do. It's, it's in their nature to go astray. That's why they need a shepherd. And oftentimes what sheep will do is they, as, they, as they come and they graze and they eat and they eat, their, their heads are down the whole time and they're just going, they're going forward, eating, 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 to where they finally look up and they, they find themselves lost. And where am I? They naturally find themselves in difficult situations. And we as humans can relate, can we not? One of my favorite lines from the hymn, Come Thou Font of Every Blessing, is prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Now, this is a reminder as we come to this psalm, this 23rd psalm, that Christianity is a relationship with the living shepherd, the living God. Being a Christian means having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ himself gives himself a title in John chapter 10. He says, I am the good shepherd. So the nature of Psalm 23 then becomes even more personal. 
The Christian reads it, Jesus is my shepherd, I shall not want. And what does that exactly mean, that I shall not want? The meaning here is not that we don't desire or want anything. The meaning is that we won't be left wanting. We're being told that the Lord's sheep are not lacking anything, but we have to also ask, how is this true? We don't even have to leave this chapter in the Psalms to see that the Lord's sheep do indeed lack things. When we're told about walking through the dark valley, it's safe to assume that the valley lacks light. And I presume it lacks the green pasture and the quiet waters. In what sense, then, can it be said that the Christian shall not lack anything? I like John Piper's answer to this question. He says, what David means is that God's sheep never lack anything that the shepherd thinks is good for them. What this means is simply the simple truth is that God is all we need. What this means is that Jesus is enough. Whether we're in the green pasture, whether we're by still waters, whether or not we're in the dark valley, Jesus is enough. Because the good shepherd remains at our side, and that is all we need. And if we have Jesus, we lack no good thing. And as I was pondering this verse this week, I attempted to replace that, the word, the Lord, with some other things. Other things that I've looked to in my life and other potential things. And maybe you and I can do this exercise together. Let's, let's replace the Lord with some other things. Money is my shepherd, I shall not want. Popularity is my shepherd, I shall not want. Fame and fortune is my shepherd, I shall not want. Family is my shepherd, I shall not want. And, and the list goes on. And if any of these things were responsible for shepherding you, Could you honestly say, I shall not want? We, like David, should be clinging to this as well. Jesus is all we need. When we have Jesus, we lack nothing. And Paul is a man that understood this clearly. He considered everything that he gained in this lifetime, literally in the Greek, poop. Poop. Compared to knowing Jesus Christ. He was lacking nor being deprived of anything simply because he had Jesus. Verse 2, he makes me lie down in green pastures. While it's true that Jesus is all we need, it's not to say that Jesus is all we get. David reminds us that it's our good shepherd who makes us lie down in green pastures and leads us beside still waters. And if you want a good read, I recommend uh, Philip Keller's uh, A Look um, at the 23rd Psalm. A shepherd's look at the 23rd Psalm. I'm going to read some quotes from there throughout the sermon. But he's a pastor and author who for eight years himself was a shepherd. This is what he says about sheep. It's almost impossible for sheep to lie down unless certain requirements are met. Keller explains that before sheep will lie down, they need to be free of four things. Because of their timidity, sheep refuse to lie down unless they're free of all fear. Sheep will not lie down unless they're free from friction with others, sheep within the flock. If tormented by flies or parasites, sheep will not lie down. And lastly, sheep will not lie down as long as they feel, they feel uh, in, uh, there's a need for finding food. So there must be a freedom of fear from fear, friction, flies, and famine before sheep will lie down. So translate this into our context. And I hear David saying that the Lord often removes obstacles in our life for the purpose of giving us rest and rest of a certain kind. It's not that the good Lord removes every obstacle, but rather that it's in him, the good shepherd, that there's ultimate rest. Augustine in his well-known confessions explains, you stimulate him to take pleasure in praising you because you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they can find rest in you. We, like sheep, have gone astray and are restless. We, like sheep, can't rest due to fear of predators in our own land, friction with others. Tormented by the flies and parasites in life and if we're left hungry. You see, left alone to themselves, sheep will never find rest. They'll be stuck in in fear, friction, flies, and famine. But what about those that have Christ as a good shepherd? It is said that the good shepherd makes us lie down in green pastures. This picture, this imagery, this metaphor of green pastures is one of rest. 
in Palestine where David wrote this psalm and kept his father's flocks, especially near Bethlehem. It's a dry, brown, sunburned wasteland. To get green pastures required much work on the shepherd's part. If you had green pastures, you labored diligently for it. And what is interesting is that the sheep cannot cultivate the land. In fact, sheep will keep eating and eating and eating until everything is gone. They'll literally decimate lands. That's why at some point in history, shepherds were considered lowly. Because there were some careless shepherds that simply allowed their flocks to go and decimate lands. And didn't properly care for them. They ate, ate, ate. But I tell you, what has God the Father done for us by sending his son for us? Something that we couldn't accomplish apart from him. And it's these green pastures where we have found true rest. Another famous hymn in Christ alone. It's in him that there's no power of of death, no power of hell. I'm sorry, no fear in death and no power of hell. It's in him that we have our identity that's sealed. There's no need to operate on our insecurities. There's no need to compare because we're sealed in him. And it's, it's, it's from God that we get our identity and our established worth. The flies and parasites of life, I'm, I'm, uh, you and I are able to bear because he's forming me and he's forming you. And hungry, even though at times we may be physically hungry or we may feel like we're lacking, we come to his word and we feast. And we leave fully satisfied. So when you think of these green pastures, it's a place of rest that the shepherd leads us to. Where we don't have those fears of those things. We're able to simply... <sighs> he leads me beside still waters. Sheep need water. Sheep's bodies are composed of approximately 70% water. In fact, if sheep are thirsty, they are restless until they find water. What another appropriate picture, huh? The shepherd knows the good spots where his sheep can get water. And this is important because there were pockets of water that were filled with parasites. The good shepherd had to go out and and spot out appropriate places of drinking water as well. And we as humans critically understand the importance of being hydrated. That's critically important in the life of a sheep as well. If left to their own, they were unable to find a water supply. Keller explains this, water for sheep came from three main sources, dew on the grass, deep wells, or springs and streams. Most people are not aware that sheep can go for months on end, especially if the weather is not too hot, without actually drinking. If there is heavy dew on the grass each morning, sheep by habit rise just before dawn and start to feed, or if there is bright moonlight, they will graze at night. The early hours are when the vegetation is drenched with dew, and sheep can fit on the amount of water taken in with their forage when they graze just before and after dawn. Dew is a clear, clean, pure source of water. The good shepherd makes sure that his sheep can be out and grazing on this dew-drenched vegetation. If necessary, it will mean he himself has to rise early to be out with his flock. The good shepherd leads us by still waters. So not only is it a good water supply, but the water is still. It's also known that sheep won't drink from anything other than still waters. Because remember that, that fear of, of water moving. Jesus himself proclaimed in John chapter 7, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Going on. He restores my soul. There's a term that sheep herders are aware of. It's called a cast sheep. A cast sheep is flat on its back, stuck there with legs flailing. They're left utterly helpless, unable to do anything but panic. And it tends to happen to fat sheep. They lie down in some kind of depression or hollow, and they attempt to stretch, and then somehow they lose their center of gravity, and they end up flat on their backs. And there's danger in this for the following reasons. As the sheep is lying there, gases are building up in their stomach, and this somehow cuts off blood circulation to their legs. And if it's in hot weather, the sheep don't stand a chance to live long in those conditions. There's also the danger of predators. I mean, it's fast food right there on a plate. You see a cast sheep? That's like Mickey D's drive-thru right there. And the shepherd has to always be on watch for the sheep because 
this happens. It's like a regular part of their life as well. And when the shepherd would find the cast sheep, this is interesting, the first thing he would do is pick it up and put it right side up. Then the shepherd would begin to massage its legs for the sole purpose of getting blood circulated back into the leg. And as this was happening, the shepherd, who has totally just, I mean, just reading some different uh, experiences of this, they would be like, you know, really scattered-brained and really just kind of loss of equilibrium. And finally, they would gain their place, and, and the sheep would go back to their flock. What an illustration. Brothers and sisters, we were left cast, hopeless in our sins. But the good shepherd restores our souls. How many of you have ever found yourself cast? Do you see the heart of God? Do you think the shepherd looks at this sheep that is cast and he looks at him and he says, you dummy. You did it again. It's like the 10th time, Chris. I was listening to uh, Matt Chandler preach, and he gave an appropriate illustration of the heart of God. For those of us that have children, you remember the, the time when your kids started walking, right? Very exhilarating. And you remember your, your child taking their, their first steps, staggering. And as, they, as you call them, saying, come here, buddy, come here. They began taking their first steps, and, and they fall. You as a parent, were you like, dummy? You fell again. No, as soon as they came to your arms, you just embraced them. It's the heart of God, the good shepherd, who was always looking to restore his cast sheep. He searches, and he searches until he finds us. You remember the parable of the lost sheep that Jesus told to describe the heart of the father for the lost sheep. See the unity of the Old Testament and the New Testament. Oh, this foreshadowing. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Keller explains that sheep are notorious creatures of habit. If left to themselves, they will follow the same trails until they become ruts. Graze the same hills until they turn to desert waste. Pollute their own ground until it's corrupt with diseases and parasites. A commonly held but serious misconception is that sheep can get along anywhere. And the truth is quite the reverse. No other class of livestock require more careful handling, more detailed direction than do sheep. Shepherds have to keep their sheep on the move and lead them into good lands. And as we look at this translation, I think a better translation of, of the Hebrew would be, he will lead them in the right paths. This is the case with our Lord. He will always lead us in the right place, guide us in the right way. And what he tells us to do, what he tells us to do will always be good. And it will never contradict his word. And a couple of things I put here is, how does he do this? A couple of ways. One way is God's moral law. Second thing would be the Bible in general. Another thing is the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. And another, another would be the examples and teachings of Christ. And for what purpose? He leads me in right paths for his name's sake. It's for his glory and his fame. And it's just neat that we get to be a part of that. We're part of that. Verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. It's interesting to note that sheep start ascending and grazing in the spring and through the summer. They're following the receding snow up the mountain and eating. And by the end of summer, they're way up in remote alpine meadows. And as fall is in full force, light snowfall appears, forcing the sheep lower and lower. And it's through this that the sheep are more close with the shepherd as the shepherd is constantly having to keep a close eye on them because of more dangers, dangers of descent. Isn't that neat? Because so often times we find ourselves in, in difficult situations and one of, the, one of the initial impulse of us as humans is, where are you, God? 
Are you here? Can you hear me? Where are you? And what is David trying to communicate that here now as he's talking about the valley, this dark valley? He's trying to tell us that these are the times when the shepherd is closest. Remember, we're talking about metaphor, right? Can you see David like as a shepherd, an expert shepherd, leading his flock down, experiencing these things, this close intimacy with the sheep? And finally, he having this like, you know, epiphany, God, that's you. That's you and me, God. Hence, there's this intimacy. And one theologian comments that David's intimacy here with God, as the sheep are completely alone with their shepherd, so are we with God during those dark times. David speaking as a shepherd fully understands the danger of the descent, all the dangers of rampaging rivers in, 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 in flood, avalanches, rock slides, poisonous plants, the ravages of, of predators that raid the flock, or the storms of sleet and hail and snow were familiar to David. The valley of the shadow of death is used to communicate just that, a dangerous environment. One theologian comments this, there's an actual valley of the shadow of death in Palestine, and every sheep herder from Spain to Dalmatia knows of it. It is south of the Jericho Road, leading from Jerusalem to the Dead Sea, and it is a narrow defile through a mountain range. Climatic and grazing conditions make it necessary for the sheep to be moved through this valley for seasonal feeding each year. Travel through the valley is dangerous because its floors has gullies seven or eight feet deep. An actual footing on solid rock is so narrow in many places that a sheep cannot turn around. And it is an unwritten law of shepherds that flocks must go up the valley in the morning hours and down toward the even tide. Less flocks meet in the defile. About halfway through the valley, the walk crosses from one side to the other to a place where the path is cut into by an eight-foot gully. One side of the gully is about 11 inches higher than the other. The sheep must jump across it. The shepherd stands at this break and coaxes or forces the sheep to make the leap. And if a sheep slips and lands in the gully, the shepherd's rod is brought into play. The old-style crook circles a large sheep's neck or a small sheep's chest, and the animal is lifted to safety. Many wild dogs lurk in the shadows of the valley, looking for prey. And the shepherd, skilled in throwing his staff, uses it as a weapon. And the simple truth is that during these dark, difficult times, when that first question on our mind is, where are you, God? In fact, is that David is trying to communicate to us, it's during these times that the shepherd is leading us. And it's because of this fact that David will fear no evil because he understands this personally. He has experienced it. The shepherd's rod and staff comfort him. Rod made from a sapling and was an extension of the shepherd's arm. Nails were driven into the round wooden base to make it heavy, used for protection against thieves and predators. And a shepherd became a master at, at throwing it. He also used it for discipline. When sheep went wayward or were going to eat a poisonous plant or approach some kind of dangerous cliff, the shepherd were, would hurl this in the direction of the sheep, not to, not to hit the sheep, but it would make this whistling sound that would cause the uh, sheep to defer from what it was doing. And the sheep would scurry back to the flock. It was used for inspection. Every time the sheep would check in for the night, each sheep would enter the the sheepfold, protected by the shepherd, because of the thick wool, the shepherd would need to inspect the skin of the sheep for disease. And they would use the rod to separate their wool, and they would run their fingers through the wool. The staff is essentially a symbol of the concern, the compassion that a shepherd has for his charges. And no other word would best describe the staff other than the word comfort. Whereas the rod conveys the concept of authority, power, discipline, defense against danger, the word staff speaks of all that is long-suffering and kind. The staff, normally a long, slender stick, often with a crook or hook on one end, was selected by care with the owner, shaped, smooth, and cut to best suit his own personal use. And the shepherd would use it to guide his sheep and to kindly prod wayward sheep as well. 
When baby lambs were born, the shepherd would use his staff to bring the young to his mother because the mother would reject the baby if the scent of human hands were on the baby. Shy and distant sheep were brought near to the shepherd for intimacy. The shepherd would use it. And the staff was used to bring the sheep to the shepherd for inspection. It was also used for guidance and protection, as we discovered. Sheep would fall into the water or get stuck in wild bushes. Their wool would get tangled in the thorns, and only the staff could rescue them from their demise. Now we can understand why David says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. It seems as though our poet has dropped the shepherd and sheep metaphor here, but he really hasn't. And the metaphor could be used in a couple different ways. This is the beautiful thing about metaphors and, um, and similes here in the scriptures. One commentator comments, David's meaning is a simple one, speaking in terms of conditions in the Holy Land where sheep ranges are known. Poisonous plants, which are fatal to grazing animals, abound. Each spring, the shepherd must be constantly alert. When he finds the plants, he takes his mattock and goes on ahead of the flock, grubbing out every stalk and root he can see. As he digs out the stalks, he lays them on little stone pyres, and by the morrow, they are dry enough to burn. When the pasture is free from poisonous plants, the sheep are led into it, and in the presence of their plant enemies, they eat in peace. Perhaps the illustration could also be used to talk about predators. As a shepherd is there, a master using his rod and his staff is able to ward off predators. And the sheep are are free to eat in the presence of their enemies as well. And he speaks of anointing his head with oil. It's very interesting. As Remember, we talked about the shepherd inspecting every sheep. And he would also carry with him a horn full of some kind of solution that had its base of olive oil. And it would be used, it's like their neosporin. <laughs> It'd be used for, for, for cuts, for scabs, for injuries. But it was also used to ward off what's called nose flies. What's the interesting thing about the nose flies is that they would, are these flies that would go up a sheep's nose. They would lay eggs into the, into the mucous membrane of the sheep. In a few days, the eggs would hatch. There would be these little tiny worms, very appetizing, I know. And they would begin to burrow themselves into the mucous membrane. And what that would do is it would cause infection, inflammation, swelling in the nose. And, And what would happen is these sheep would go crazy. They would begin just bumping their head constantly over and over again just because they didn't have a way of dealing with these nose flies. So the good shepherd would have to constantly look, and he would be aware of where the flies were. And in fact, every night they would, they would, uh, they would put this ointment on their head to, to ward off the flies. Definitely talking of God's care for us as well. Verse 6, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I think the, new, the NASB is a better translation here. So if you look in the NASB, it says, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And there's some footnotes. And it says, another reading is return to. And another word for forever is length of days. So if we were to take that, which some commentators agree, it would say, and I will return to the house of the Lord for the length of my days. The reason that we're thinking this is better is that this is a poem describing the day in the life of a, of a shepherd and a sheep. We started off with uh, uh, the green pastures, kind of like the first thing in the morning. And now we're ending with the nighttime activities. So it's now appropriate to, to end here. Packer explains this about the divine goodness and mercy. He says, divine goodness and mercy, kindness, generosity, care for us, patience with us, helpfulness towards us will be our portion throughout life and enjoyment of what we may dare to call home life with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit will be ours literally forever. The privileges, pleasures, and prospects of those who have the Lord as their shepherd are in truth 
more than words can tell. So the sheep now at the end of the day have come back to their sheepfold where the shepherd is standing. There was only one way in and one way out. So he literally examined every sheep, inspecting, as we had discovered, their wool, putting ointment on their head. And within the sheepfold, there was um, this reservoir of water. And the reason being is as, as the shepherd inspected the sheep, he would not only look for injuries, but he would look, which one of my sheep are tired and weary? Maybe showing signs of dehydration. And we take this, this two-cupful thing, bowl of water and give it to them, and they would just douse their face in and drink. And, the, and then the sheep would go into the sheepfold, and they would lie down for the night. And the good shepherd would lay in that entrance for the sole purpose of protecting the sheep. And the sheep were able to rest perfectly. So what you can imagine that when the day is done, we have that word contentment. What rest that they have. Now I ask all of you, have you found your rest in the good shepherd? How has your life been? It's the good shepherd that gives us the ultimate rest in knowing him. I know there are many different folks in here and many different life experiences. But what I clearly see in this 23rd Psalm is that through it all, God is with us. God is for us. And we especially doubt the times that are difficult, that we doubt his presence. But as C.S. Lewis puts it so well, that it's during those times of suffering that the Holy Spirit is screaming. If I could have the praise team come up. I just wanted us to spend some time in prayer. Don't know where your souls are at, but God does. And it's the prayer that as we have looked at this 23rd Psalm, that there's been a picture painted of God as a shepherd who cares for every detail of his sheep's life and who is for his sheep and who cares for his sheep. Maybe there are some folks in this room that you've been so busy, consumed with busyness. I'm, I'm very good at looking busy even when I'm not. And you simply need to find your rest. I think the perfect example for me in the scriptures is the life of Jesus. Was there really anybody that was more busy than Jesus? I mean, 30 years of preparation for three years of ministry. You can trace Jesus' steps to all that he needed to do and all that he accomplished. So Jesus was not a lazy man. But one thing that I see is Jesus operated perfectly from the rest that he had with his father. Hence, we, can, we understand those words that I only see and do what my father is doing. Do you see that? That he operated from that, from that soul identity of knowing who God is and knowing who he was. And I'm not trying to give a teaching on laziness. No, I'm just saying, have you found your rest in him? Is he where you grab your identity and not magazines or what other people say? Is a good shepherd where you get your identity from? Or when was the last time that you connected with the heart of your father? It's a firm belief of mine that God is always speaking to us as well. I think at times that we fail to simply answer the phone that is always ringing because we fill our lives with, with busyness and distractions. When was the last time you connected with God? When was the last time you heard the voice of God? I was talking to a friend of mine recently who just has felt very disconnected from the Lord, just been consumed with busyness. And he had shared with me these, these insights that he had. And I just simply told him, that's the voice of God. God is speaking to you. 
He's revealed those things. Now just cling to him. Let's pray. could just spend some time in prayer just thanking God for who he is thanking him that he's a good shepherd Father God, I just thank you. I thank you that you are the good shepherd. God, understanding the dynamic of the life of a shepherd and a sheep just blowing my mind away to see your love for all of us in this room. God, you are our shepherd and we don't want anything else. God, we know that it's a famous title of a book that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And God, we know that it's your heart as a shepherd to lead your children to green pastures and still waters, a place of rest where we won't get lost into the things of this world, nor will we attempt to compare ourselves to the things of this world, but that we'll be at a place in rest because we're with our shepherd. We know it's you that restores our life, that as sinners, enemies of God, you've chosen to send your son to restore us. That even though we get restored and we get justified in the faith, in the process of sanctification, we mess up, God. And we know, I can confess that many a times, And many a times I've broken your heart, God. But like the good shepherd who takes that cast sheep, puts them right side up, and begins to massage his legs, God, I thank you for restoring us, God. And I thank you, Lord, that even through the valleys of the shadow of death that we all have in here, to know that that's when the time the shepherd is is even more aware. His eyes are constantly going back and forth, counting his sheep, looking at every ravine, making sure he's going ahead. God, that those are the times that you are the closest. Praise you for that. And forgive us for lack of faith. It just rings true that even though we are faithless, you are faithful. Thank you, Lord, that you bring us to a place of rest. 
where we're able to even eat and have food in the presence of our enemies. That there are so many uncertainties in life. But because, even, even the way the world is, but because of the good shepherd, we're able to eat in peace and have joy in midst of turmoil and trials and tribulations. And we know that goodness and mercy flows out of this relationship. So God, I just pray that that hearts are encouraged today as we've attempted to paint this picture of how good you are, God. I know that that's the only way that people will be drawn near to you as we uplift your name and who you are. People are drawn to that. I pray if those that for those in here that are troubled that their hearts would be renewed and restored. I pray for those that have been maybe consumed with things of the world and maybe just been busy that there would be repentance knowing that the shepherd is always longing for his sheep to come to the flock. I'm just praying, God, that hearts are restored to you. Thank you for your goodness, your grace, your everlasting love, for who you are, for what you have done, for what you are doing, and just for being flat out the best shepherd. In your son's name we pray. Amen.